Welcome, this is Richard Wilson. If your seat backs and tray tables are not already in their full upright positions, it's too late. Brace for Impact is the Bait and Switch Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Bait and Switch Podcast. I'm back here, myself, Chris Beyer, with uh, my co-host, as always, Jim Martin. Uh, we're here today again with Mitch Tyke. Mitch Tyke is uh, the first two-time guest and maybe three-time guest, we could call him. Sure. Yeah, Mike. Mitch, I should say. I'm uh, looking forward to getting my uh, own private parking space. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. And then we've got maybe a two-time guest, we'll call it again, because uh, both of these gentlemen were involved in our Tour de France preview podcast for 2018 here, and it's Jerry Cagle. Thanks for having me. I've mentioned on this podcast that I am part of a group called the Tosa Spokesman. It is a group of bike riders that go out for rides mainly on the weekends. But we're on a ride. There's about five of us. And Jerry's kind of at the back. He's going a little slower than the rest of us. And he's he's moving his shoulder around funny. All of a sudden, I started thinking, I wonder if something's wrong with his heart. And I said, what's going on, uh, Jerry, with your shoulder here? He goes, I don't know. He said, you know, maybe I twisted funny doing some lifting or something like that. In my mind, I thought, okay, he doesn't have a heart problem. It's his shoulder. He lifted something funny. But as we found out later, there's more to the story. So, Jerry, what happened on well, that I day? Well, was halfway into a 40-mile bike ride. Started just feeling like somebody was uh, had their thumb on my chest. Yeah, but it turned out to be... It turned out that I did have a heart attack then. But it sort of went away by itself. And then I rode back. On the way back, we had this... 30 mile an hour tailwind and so we were were coming back and we were like we were literally like going like 28 miles an hour on the way home so the lesson is heart attacks generally just go away and don't worry yeah that's don't pay attention to them really yeah so you get a tailwind you're fine it's like yeah it happened and it's like uh, it went away and it's like well i'll wait and see what happens and uh yeah you know then i had another one and of course i you know wow i said oh i'll see what happens and Another one. The second one. You said, ah, well, we'll see. What... Third time's a charm. I'm hard to tell there were then four I, guys. Then I finally I told my wife, and she goes, well, maybe you should go to the hospital. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll see what, see what happens. <laughs> see what and then happens. I'm driving to work the next day, and it's like, oh, I'm having it, another episode here. And I'm thinking, should I just drive myself right to the hospital? And Well, we'll see what happens. Then yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I went away, and I got to work, and then I called my wife. And she goes, do you really should go to the hospital? It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And they found out you had four heart attacks? Yeah. They were oh. all like real mild ones. So now, I, it, I think I remember way. from you telling the story that you went in and they said, we can take care of this right now. And you you, know, you went from diagnosis to treatment like right away, right? Yeah. As soon as I went into the uh, emergency room, you know, I go, well, I, I was having these these episodes and they go, okay, right away, right in and uh, yeah. start up on the, the tests. And Mitch, wow. how's your heart feeling tonight? Uh, you know, I'm reevaluating every bit of shoulder pain that I've right. ever had right now. Why are you rubbing your shoulder yeah, right now? Was, yeah. I mean, it was classic. It was like I, my my left arm went numb. Did you know, you I thought, there's no way I can have a heart attack. I, You know, I ride 5,000 miles a year for the last 10 years in a row. I'm, right. I ski in the winter. I, I, I'm yeah, in great active. shape, right? Great yeah. shape. You right. Know, but, uh, you know, I have my uh, heredity against me. Oh, yeah. 
I think we, we must okay. be getting older. You know, uh, too many of these podcasts are now focusing on people's <laughs> right. health. Uh, yeah, people's health. Yeah, right. Yeah, there was sort of colonoscopies. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I, was, I, yeah, I can tell you about yeah. my uh, – did we, did we get into my colonoscopies the last time I was here? Uh, if, uh, I think this is a potential topic. Let's I, hear it. I think uh, so. My colonoscopy punch card is up to 13 now. <laughs> when I get the 14th one, I actually get a free 20-ounce beverage with uh, <laughs> okay. a 6 sub. You did mention in the podcast that you've got some digestive issues. I have probably... Crohn's disease, so uh, so I'm on the uh, the the colonoscopy every twelve to eighteen month plan, which uh, yeah. it's a it's a good time. Yeah, yeah, this is true. I was driving with a guy here not too long ago, and I looked up and they had this billboard. And I, you know, maybe I'm getting older here, but I looked up and this billboard they had a, a picture of an attractive woman with gray hair. Yeah, it's a nice. She's she's kind of cute actually. And then I read the billboard. It was for uh, pre-planning your funeral. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is my demographic now. This right, is kind of right. sad. <laughs> you know, we talked about uh, you know, the whole thing about when you're young, you're immortal, right? There's that thought of whatever you're going to do that you're not going to get hurt and your parents are fighting you from doing that. Do you have to do that with your kids, stop your son from doing st- stupid things? Both of my kids are maybe the the slightest bit risk averse, or maybe it's not that they're risk averse. Maybe it's that I don't necessarily see the risk in what they're doing. My wife, like from a very early age with our kids, would not go to the playground with them because she did not want to watch them on the monkey bars. Uh, both of my kids uh, downhill ski, and she will not go watch them ski. I'm perfectly happy to to go skiing with them. And one's a bicycle racer. How's she with that? Uh, you know what? She I think uh, comes out of her shell when she is on a bike. She has a certain instinct on the bike that uh, it's kind of impressive to watch. She will get right on somebody's wheel, and um, yeah, nice, nice. How's Gretchen with it? You know, Gretchen is a big fan of uh, of bike racing, so so far so good. She's taken Sylvie Sylvie to her track cycling nights down at the velodrome and uh, has not looked terrified. <laughs> okay, well that's well, good. Well, she that's ha- good. she must not have had to take her to the hospital yet. Not yet, so. no. <laughs> so that that might change things a bit. Yeah. So thanks for bringing that up, Jerry. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, let's speculate. Collarbone is intact at the moment. Right. Let's speculate about the health of each other's children at this point. <laughs> when you're young, I I just remember thinking like. If I was in a plane crash, I'd do a tuck roll and I'd bounce out of it. Yeah. Or that whole thing where you're in an elevator. Before you hit the bottom, you jump up, right? Yeah, right. You know, nowadays, the smallest things concern me. Like if I go antiquing, I think about tetanus. You know, I'm worried about that. Uh, when uh, when somebody says, you know, do you want pulled pork? I think pulled hamstring. It, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit more cautious than I used to be. Yeah, you have to be, you have to be careful. You get older, you get stiff. Stub toe, gangrene. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah right. I see, I see danger. There. I, oh my I God, that's not romaine lettuce, is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no E. coli for me. Thank you very much. Jerry, we, uh, during the break, we were talking about Jerry's recent knee injury. Tell us about that. Well, that was another. That's another incident where I get hurt, and uh, I just hoped beyond hope that uh, it would heal itself, and uh, didn't really turn out that way. So, I, how many different times did did you, you know, snap this knee before it took you to get to the doctor? Uh well, it was a pretty serious uh, injury, and uh, so I uh, sort of limped around for about a year to, uh, you know. And I could actually, it it healed up okay. I could actually do everything. I could go riding my bike. I could, I could walk my dog. I could, 
but then I started roller skiing to get ready for the ski season, and oh, that's like this torquing yeah. motion on my knee, and that didn't really work out. So Did you ever at any point say, we'll see what happens? Because that seems to be your motto with the heart attacks. <laughs> well, we'll see what any, happens. Does anything so, hurt right yeah. now that we should be concerned about? No, I'm... Not, not your knee, just anything in general. What about that wound yeah. that we see? You're <laughs> bleeding right now. What about that? So was it an ACL or? Uh... It was an MCL. Oh, okay. MCL, yeah. okay. And what did you do to it? I was uh, probably skiing when I probably shouldn't have because. Uh, no snow? It was uh, it was pretty uh, a bleak ski season. So then, uh, so we drive up north to uh, this friend of mine's cabin. And it, the snow was really good. It was like nice and firm and hard pack, and we all skate. So, but then somebody said, "Well, let's go on this other trail here." So we go on this other trail, and this one wasn't packed down very well. And and so I was going down a hill, and one ski took a dive into the snow, and my uh, other the other one ski did not. Just kept going, so I like did the splits. Uh, what's your What's your big uh, athletic pursuit, Mitch? Uh, I was a baseball player all through college. I'll share my 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 serious sports injury story, and Ooh, that was this is a rough uh, one. Uh, yeah. So I played baseball in college, and uh, like the worst thing that I did then was uh, take a line drive off my face when I was throwing batting practice. <laughs> Sorry, that I'm laughing so hard. Uh, yeah. Oh no, it was uh, like it was actually it was worse for the guy that hit it than it was for me because as soon as I hit the ground and like knew I was alive, it was all fine. After that. He thought he had killed me, but yeah, you know the whole lace marks in the face, and but that was that was not the worst uh, injury I sustained. So I played in college. I graduated in '92, and then I you know took I don't know uh, seven years off, and we moved to Arizona eventually. And uh, there was a there was a good adult baseball league in uh, in northern Arizona. So I was playing for the Flagstaff Pioneers. Uh, they had me pitch because, you know, anybody that can get the ball over the plate in this league was welcome. And so I, I went out and pitched. I, I started and uh, threw a decent game. My arm really hurt. So I actually took the unprecedented step of going into the doctor. And they said, of course it hurts. You've overexerted yourself. And you might want to try two Motrin instead of one. Sure. And so I took Clear the next week off. I should note at this point that this was two weeks to the day before my wedding, ah. and uh, and so I was a starting pitcher. The first pitch I threw, it sounds like somebody's breaking a yardstick over their knee, oh. and it was a spiral fracture of my right humerus. They they, oh, they think in the end that funny to me. it was no. a no, it was not <laughs> humerous in any oh, way, sorry. shape, or form. Uh, the, the best part of this, though, was I threw this pitch. The ball goes rolling over, you know, in between first base and third base, and I'm lying on the ground, and and the umpire walks over and says, "Ball one," <laughs> which was the only funny thing that happened for the rest of the day, because then my wife had to, or my fiance uh, had to come get me at the hospital, and I had to go to Hawaii with a broken arm and a sling, and all our wedding pictures had me in a. It was, it was, it was great. Yeah, yeah, quite, quite a thing. Recorded for posterity. Yes. Too. My groomsmen actually all got slings, too, so we would match in the pictures. Nice. Oh, cool. There you yeah, go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can be a little bit of a baby when it comes to these injuries. I um, Even when I get a haircut, I haven't put me under. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's, um, you know, this other time I got injured, uh, have you ever been unloading the dishwasher and you've got the cabinet doors open? Oh, 
and you <laughs> rise up too fast. <laughs> I tell you, one time I came up, I caught the corner of that door on my head, and I went down like I was hit by the American sniper. Yeah. I mean, I dropped, right? <laughs> and I'm laying on the ground, and I'm saying to my girlfriend, stay with me. You know, I'm seeing the light coming at me. And I tell you, that hurt like, I mean, oh, like yeah. one of the worst things I've ever yeah. ever done. But Jim, what about uh, your biggest injury? I I, uh, I was playing softball one time, and uh, it was a close play at home, and I was safe. And the next guy coming up, I was going to give him a low five, so I I, uh, I swung my hand down, and, and he hit my finger just in the right spot. He dislocated my finger, so it was, and that that's the second time. The, the the first time was out here, but but this time it popped it uh, just out and back. So it was kind of like the top of the finger or the front of the finger was laying on top of the back of the finger. The first time it happened, we're playing yeah. basketball, yeah. and uh, we went to the urgent care clinic. Yeah, and this thing is is it's uh, backwards. It's basically, it's, po- it's pointing the wrong right. way. It's dislocated, yeah. and this doctor comes in, and uh, he said, "This is gonna hurt." <laughs> and uh, and he grabbed your finger, and this was not just like a clink. It no. was like a go ahead and it's right. Like a grind. Like, yeah, I mean, he just grabbed yeah. that finger and he just slowly put it back yeah. into place. And, and he, I, I thought he put his foot up on his desk or something <laughs> oh, like yeah. that because it wasn't moving very well. He didn't because, tie a string around it. Yeah, right? then, yeah, like just slam the door. Yeah, boom. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh it was yeah, terrible. that was bad. I, you know, actually, I did not plan this transition, but the next topic I was going to talk about was the NBA Finals. Did you guys watch the NBA Finals, Jerry? I did. I saw that uh, the first game that it looked like the uh, Cavaliers were going to win, and oh. they uh, somehow managed to throw it away. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I had crazy. thought about watching the NBA Finals, but by the time I realized they were on, they were over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. One, of the, one of the kind of talking points of the playoffs this year is LeBron as good as Jordan. You know, I will say LeBron for his time like holds the same distinction that Jordan did for his time. But I, you know, I still think that Jordan from if you if you consider all of basketball history is still probably the most transcendent character that the game has ever seen. I I agree. And and you know, I think people say, well, Jordan had a better supporting cast. That's why he's got more rings. It's it's one of those things, uh, you know, trying to compare two two totally different generations. It's yeah. a different game now. Yeah, I've heard it say they say you know it's hard to compare eras, and yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's true because I'm I think the Jurassic is better than the Cretaceous. I mean, I like dinosaurs more than ferns. I mean, I'm more you know. That's a good point. That's yeah, good point. I think it's all the way. The food is better. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I think we have a clear winner. Jurassic is sure. thing. Although, do not go watch uh, the new Jurassic Park movie. Oh, not good. I haven't seen it, but I, I, to I see hear it. the same thing. I have not seen Jurassic it World. I am waiting for the the first Jurassic Pocket Park. <laughs> in Tulsa. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very small, like a, like little velociraptors, right, and they, right. they have to run around in like a 50-square-foot area. Yeah, right. They can have like uh, like the pig races at the fair, <laughs> right. the velociraptor races. Yeah, sure. I was watching uh, Godzilla. Did you see that latest Godzilla, the one about two years ago or something like that? No, I did not. Anyway, they, they had it on TV, and these fight Mothra. Mothra is just pummeling them, and God- Godzilla is just down for the count. And at one point, Godzilla gets up and gets his first blow in, and then he starts celebrating. I'm thinking, act like oh, you've been really? there. You know, <laughs> scoreboard. Come on. Right, right. You know? yeah. Is he raising the roof or what? Yeah. yeah. You know, and then Mothra gets one in while he's celebrating. Right, sure. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like in the podcast. I want to act like I've been there before. When I do a bit that turns out, I don't yeah. want to lord it over everybody. 
the community. Yeah, no, no. I yeah, do the bit. Can... I get in. I get right, out. Right. Yep. Actually, I want to talk about something a little bit more serious. I was talking to Jerry about this here just... More serious than more heart serious, attacks? More serious than heart attacks. <laughs> Another thing you hear about Jerry, um, that he had a friend of his that uh, kind of fell on hard times, and uh, he asked Jerry if he could live in his basement for a little bit, and he turned out to be a long-term uh, living in your basement for quite a long time. He did. You know, uh, he, he just uh, went from friend to friend and stayed at somebody's house and uh he was uh very opinionated he was like his own worst enemy really a great guy but uh just loved to shoot his mouth off from what you told me you said that he asked if he could just you know hang out for a weekend or a month and it turned out to be how many years well the thing is is that uh i didn't really want him to live in my house so i i kept saying oh uh my wife says you can't uh stay in my house here because he was he was bouncing back and forth between different friends' house. So, um, but then he was uh, he was living in his truck, and it was the middle of winter. Oh! Then he hurt himself real severely. So he, yeah. So he's delivering a uh, him and one other guy delivering a treadmill. Hmm. Treadmills weigh like three hundred fifty pounds. Yeah. But the treadmill slipped out of his hands, and he's going to oh. go to grab it. And they have metal bands around the cardboard, so he okay. grabs the metal band, oh, and right. slices right through his hand. So, ouch! Oh. So then he like severed tendons in his hand. So it's like, oh well. And my <laughs> wife has gone. Well, you can stay in our house. Oh boy! But I was just. And right. he stayed for years. He stayed for years. Yeah. How, how many years? Uh, about five. My friends are all going. Oh, kick that bum out! You know, don't let him. Why are you letting him live in your house? And it's like. Yeah, you know, I could do that, but, you know. We'll see what happens. See what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Now, my question to Jerry originally was, you know, your wife. He said, how would your wife feel about this? But you said that they became good friends. They did. Yeah. Yeah, she actually uh, really liked having Harley around. I I work retail hours, so I'm not around. You know, when he first moved in, I was telling my wife, uh, yeah, he's probably going to stay here till the day he dies. And it, it actually turned out that way because he he was riding his bike. This is not last year, but two years ago. Somebody found him laying in the road, so he Whoa. was. So they figured that he uh, like hit a pothole or something, and he flipped over, landed completely on top of his head, and Jeez. broke his neck. Oh. That had to be tough for you. I mean, he was a member of the family. Yeah, after you know the kids were oh, all yeah. the kids were grown up and they were all gone. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have all these friends that like live half the time in like other parts of the world. Right. If you have any money at all, you have servants in your house. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's very normal that you have all these people that live in your house yeah. because they're your servants. So so it was the same thing with Harley that you know he made a little bit of money and he helps out in the garden or he. Cut grass, or he'll yeah. do all sorts of odd jobs. He'll do painting. So, so I just figured, you know, he's my house servant. If I was yeah, living somewhere sure. else, he'd be my servant, and sure. and he was. And you know what? The thing is, is that he like he freed me up to do whatever the heck I wanted to, and so I got nice. to be where I was like riding my bike all the time. It's because I didn't have to take the dog for a walk. I didn't have to cut the grass. <laughs> I didn't have to do the laundry. Right. I mean, it's sounding wow. like I didn't have to do anything. It yeah, was right. sounding it was... less altruistic and more uh, greedy here. It was great. Yeah, it was great. 
Now, Mitch, in your uh, in your uh, show, Lake Effect on WWM, have you done a story like this where you know people fall on hard times and people help each other like that? Oh, we we haven't done one like honestly. I, I was listening to that story; it sounded like a compelling radio to me. Honestly, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I was even thinking about. Should I try and find somebody else that was like Harley and have them live in my basement? It's like it didn't really. He didn't. He didn't eat any of my food. Huh. You know, he he was very clean. He kept everything up really well. But so. you already knew him, so it's I not knew like, him. I mean, it would, yeah, be, it would yeah. be different if you you know went and tried found to a hire somebody. Person. You, right, you exactly. don't know if they're going to rip you off or right. You know. But every now and then, you know, you run into somebody that in your life that you really can help and should help. And uh, I guess I'm it, asking, it works you know, out. like, like I said, I hear Jerry yeah. telling the story that I've heard from Jerry before, and I thought, geez, I, I hope I'm as good a friend as Jerry is. It was a touching story that I heard from Jerry. You, you did let me sleep in your basement the night before my wedding. When that's I right. Sleep at home. So that's, that's, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm good. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. See, there you go. Well, and yeah. I think at, at the end of the day, you know, you have to approach something like that in such a way that... You know, you put yourself in the other person's situation and think about maybe there would be a time in your life where you really needed the help of somebody else. And so, you know, you would want other people to be there for you. So to the to the degree that you can be there for them, you know, even when it might not be the ideal situation, like there's a there's there's a certain I don't know, there's a certain appeal to altruism in that way without necessarily expecting that you'll be paid back except you know maybe well, i think yeah. if you do something nice for somebody it's really you know it's nice for them and they they may appreciate it they may not but it makes you feel good so it's like yeah to mm-hmm. me that's all that matters really sure yeah that's the, the the hidden truth about volunteering right that is fun right mm-hmm. and you meet people and you have a good time and Feel good at about least yourself. I hear. I, right, right. Not, yeah, right. I'm not going to volunteer for anything. No, that's, that's, but, that's crazy. <laughs> that's what I've heard, at least. Yeah. That's yeah. why we're expecting to be paid. I think it just makes you feel good when you do something that's nice right. for somebody that you're not really expecting anything in return. Yeah. I don't know. What What about the, uh, you know, the guy that comes up and asks for a buck? I I've kind of over the years I've kind of gone the other way, where I start to think about the businesses on that street about how you don't want to attract people in the neighborhood that are going to drag down the businesses. Sometimes I think when I give money in those circumstances to people that hit you up for begging that you're taking money out of other people's pockets. You know, and the the thing that always gets me is imagining what it took for those people the first time they decided that they were going to feel okay asking a complete stranger for money and how desperate they must have been at that point and whether they still feel that way or whether it's just become like the easy thing to do is asking well, it's a their job for, i think right. a lot of people they they think oh this is my job and so this is what i do so mm. Right. It's like yeah. other people have regular jobs. Well, this is what they do. I just yeah. stand there and ask for money in the corner. Mm-hmm. When you're pulling up at the intersection, have you as you get off the freeway and there's that guy standing there, have you ever given that guy anything? I haven't. Oh, man. I. If I did, it was a long time ago. I, I, I go back and forth with this. Am I enabling them? Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or am I doing them a favor? It. Buy you know their fifth of whatever exactly. they like. Exactly. Are they right. really going to buy food like they say? I'd be more inclined to say like I will bring you a sandwich. I'm not going to give you cash. I'll go get and, you. And you know you what? Know. I I will say that 
I was on the streets of Chicago, uh, you know, like a year and a half ago. We were on our way to see Hamilton. We had, you know, met our friends down there, and we went out for uh, went out for brunch. And I had, you know, most of this large omelet in a container and i was actually carrying it back to my car and you know there was a guy there was a guy in the street who you know asked for money and like i i said i i have no money but do you want this omelet he honestly his eyes lit up and i said my breakfast is yours and i i felt a lot better about that than had i given him 75 cents for my pocket oh sure it would right, have ruined yeah, it had he said egg white. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, exactly. You don't expect right. that. Yeah, watch out. It's got spicy sauce <laughs> right, on right. it. The nerve. <laughs> I had a guy one time come into my office, and my office is attached to my house. And this guy came in looking for some money. And he said, just five bucks. You know, I just need to eat lunch. So I said, hold on right here. So I went back in the house, and I made him a sandwich. And I got him some to drink, and I got him some fruit, and I got him the whole lunch. Right? Yeah. And I came back out and handed it to the guy. You've never seen a guy look so sad in his life. Yeah. <laughs> he, he looked at me like, oh, my God, Lunch. no. Come on. And then he looked at me, he goes, can I have the money, too? <laughs> and he was so, yeah. he was, like I said, just the look on his face. It was, right. it was really something. He was deflated. Uh, I was going to tell one more uh, story about that, which is I was driving down the road. And, you know, sometimes you see a sign of a guy that I've run out of gas, right? Oh, yeah. or whatever. This guy was, I was standing beside his car. And he had a sign that said, could you help me? I've run out of gas. It was professionally printed and laminated. <laughs> this thing, I swear to God, this thing looked like it came from Kinko's. And somehow, I don't think it just happened to him. Sure, right. Poster size. It's, yeah, right. I had a guy who lived with me for a while. Kind of a friend. He's on hard times, right? And, uh, yeah, it was just... Uh, it was just weird. Weird guy. Just, yeah, he can so, wear. You know, somebody can wear their welcome all pretty. Yeah, quick. this guy definitely did. Yeah, he was. He was not. Uh, he was not the kind of uh, you know, stay out of your way. I'm going to do your laundry and you know, cut your lawn kind of guy. And then he. So then he left us, and he went to Michigan, where he uh, decided he was going to interrupt one of his best friend's weddings to tell her that he was still in love with her and she was doing the wrong thing. <laughs> right. I, I saw that movie. Did, yeah, right, right. Was he pounding on the glass? Yeah. Was yeah. That <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we had to have him go. Well, hey, that kind of brings <laughs> us back to the beginning. And so uh, I want to thank our guests, uh, Mitch Tyke. Thanks for coming back, Mitch. Thank you for Thanks twisting for my back, arm. Jerry. Yeah. Jerry Cagle. <laughs> Staying late tonight, uh, doing double duty here at the uh, Bait and Switch Podcast Studios. Right, yeah, our listeners don't know that, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, they they have been, in fact here uh, for a second show already. This is the second time around for them tonight. So anyway, uh, thanks a lot, guys, and yep. uh, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds All good. Right. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. This is Chris Beyer, as always, with my co-host Jim Martin. Hello, everyone. And we've got a very special guest. This is Brian Darling. Brian is somebody I know from my high school days, and he's in town for the high school reunion. So how did it go for you, Brian? I always have fun at reunions. I live in California now. It's great because I come back every few years, and I'm an icon now. Sure. The I word gets all yeah. over town. Brian's in town. Right. I've seen billboards, and, actually. It's great. I, yeah. I like yeah. it. That's good. You know, the big thing about reunions is everybody's curious, you know, who's looking good, right? 
And, you know, I don't want to, you know, name names, but I just want to say that I looked incredible that night. Right? You sure. do. You yeah. you look ex- pretty much like you looked in high school. And you too, Brian. We yeah, look good. I think, the two of you yeah. look pretty much. Like you know who it is. Yeah, yeah. we look right. good. The other people look kind of crappy. But, sure. I mean, right. well, let me right. say this. Compared to us, compared to the general population, they looked okay. Compared to me and Brian. I mean, it's another level. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't stand out on a physical. I mean, my my fame is you know comes from other places. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm an icon now. You're an icon. An icon. I was right. never right. popular in high school, was I? I wasn't popular at all. You know what? I those years are going to be a long time ago, and so I don't really remember Fuzzy. so much. Yeah. So I, you know, obviously I met you in tenth grade, mm-hmm. and in um, the band, right? Were you in the band? Didn't you, well, you played the trombone or something? Yeah. yeah. What did you play? Well, I was Trumpet? a rifle. A and I, was a, I, I was the right. only boy ever in the history of Wauwatosa East Public High School. Even to this point? Um, to this point? To be a rif- uh, rifle, yeah. Well, I don't even think they have them anymore. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Gun control. It really was a oh, magical yeah. time because, <laughs> you know, in those days, <laughs> no. the, the marching band was, you know, nationally recognized. Yeah. And, I don't think it's that way anymore. Well, they do. They do have rifles, but because it's concealed carry, they all have them under the jackets. <laughs> no, no, so, no yeah. wonder they were walking funny in the parade. That makes sense. Yeah, now. I talked to uh, Brian about. Uh, we were on Facebook talking about high school, or we're texting about high school. One topic that came up is Brian is gay. Is that true? Yes, I am proudly and happily a, a, a gay man. And in high school, and our junior high school, as a matter of fact, I don't know of anybody else who was publicly, I mean, there there was a lot of gay people in our school. Right. But, I mean, I didn't care. I was who I was, and with a name like Darling, you know, I had a very thick skin anyway by the time I got to high school. Yeah. I think I was very ahead of my time in those days. You know, we were texting about what it was like growing up in the 70s and the 80s, being gay when it wasn't quite as accepted. Wasn't quite? That's wasn't an that, understatement. Was, wasn't accepted. I mean, everybody kind of knew what was going on, and those were, you know, we didn't have social media other than people's right. big mouth. Right. And, oh, he's gay. And just darling, you know, just the name darling, that right. like automatically makes me abnormal in some way. Yeah. And I wasn't particularly good at sports. And, you know, I sort of fit maybe some people's archetype of what they thought a gay person. You know, I'm not the butchest Your thing on two clarinet feet. Player. But clarinet yeah, player? Yeah, I played the clarinet. I was the only boy in the clarinet section. I was the only boy on the rifle team. Mm-hmm. I was not in the drama club, however. I was on the uh, stage crew. Really? Oh, you okay. call yourself a gay man? <laughs> well... <laughs> The the little name for the the drama people was the play gays, right? That's yeah. what they called them. Well, that was yeah, that's what I heard. That was the name. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was not a play gay. In terms of high school, what were some of the difficult situations you went through? Well, I mean, I I came out of the closet at fourteen in nineteen seventy nine. What What do you mean? Did you like? Is that when you told your parents? Or is that when you told well, your Well, I mean, is I guess, when... yeah, I did tell my parents, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when boys hit that age and the hormones started going, then the feeling 
in the rest of my body kind of matched the feeling in my head, let's sure, say. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, without getting too graphic, I sort of developed a little faster than some of the other boys. So I, I've always worn this like scruffy beard and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just hopped on the number 10 bus and went downtown and met some people and that was it. Did you know long before that when you were eight or nine or did oh, you? Oh, I'm sure I did. Yeah. I'm sure I did. Yeah. Me, I'll say this, you know, I know I've been straight since I was four. So I'd imagine that you might have sensed that at a young age. Well, I mean, how do you know if you're straight or gay? Well, I'll say I, this. I, I thought girl about girls. when I was six. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about girls a lot when I was four. Yeah. Well, I thought about girls too. Did you? Okay. I but I never about thought about girls guys. Too. I had crushes on mm-hmm. on some girls. So yeah, did I, I didn't really okay. want to take them down to the parkway or the drive-in or, you know, I had attraction. That's a tough question. And if you ask it to a hundred different gay people, I think you'll really get a wide variety of responses. But I never questioned it. Mm-hmm. That I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after we graduated, at that time, the drinking age was 18. Right. I had already been in these clubs for, what, five years already. Right. So I was well established in the LGBT community, which was very much underground, especially in Milwaukee. Right. I was just down in the third ward, and I think now they call it the fifth ward or Walker's Point or whatever they call it. That area of town, that was my playground. 40 years ago. And I had lunch with a friend on Commission Row today on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I was horrified. I've never seen so many straight people <laughs> in one place in my life. And I really kind of felt like, you know, the straight people like came in and... In the area that you considered your home or your... your uh, well, I didn't consider it. It, it was. That's right. where all the... Uh, Safe haven. The right. LGBT community yeah. was, was based. I know sure. somebody else that was talking about uh, a bar that I went to, a gay bar that I went to uh, by Cathedral Square. You might know the one I'm talking about. Oh, this is it. They just celebrated. That's the oldest LGBT bar establishment in the city of Milwaukee. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary. And he said that it is one of the oldest in the nation. It, I would believe so. Continuously yeah. operated. Sure. Yeah. This was 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. I was meeting this girlfriend that I was dating at the time and she said we're gonna go across the street from the bar we're at and meet up with this gay friend of hers at this bar and I said there's no bar across the street from there she said oh yeah it's right there and uh, I said I don't see it well here's this nondescript building and you walked into this thing that looked like a dentist office that was after hours and there was a lot of people in there and I never knew there was a bar there right across from a bar that I visited many times I got to tell you, that was probably the, those were the happiest years of my life by far. That being said, Mm -hmm. law enforcement in Mm -hmm. this city and in that area would harass people. Um, And we didn't have cell phones and hook up things, you know, that you do on your phone now. If you wanted to meet people, you had to put on your disco shoes and whatever the fashion was and your tightest pair of jeans and go out and meet people. You know Mm -hmm. what? And that's why I brought this up because this individual is talking about the old times with some, you know, nostalgia saying, 
you know, it used to be that there was more camaraderie and like you said, people get together and instead of, you know, Tinder and things like that. And uh, he said to some extent, the younger generation now is going to miss out on what you had back then. I agree. I think that's probably one of the negatives of, of social media. Mm-hmm. He said that the the gay bar back then was really the focal point of gay activism. Well, that, yeah, that was really one of the only social outlets we had. Yeah. Right. Now nobody leaves their home. They go on, I don't even, I can't even name one of these sites because I don't, I don't know. But there's, you know, you go on your cell phone and right. I guess you just order out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they got to pick up. Uh, maybe it's right. like Amazon or something. I don't know. Delivery. Yeah, right. <laughs> In yeah. my day, you would, uh, there were certain areas of town, maybe a parkway area mm-hmm. or a parking lot or, you know, behind a abandoned warehouse. That or, everybody knew was. Right. Where so met. if you cruised around in those areas, you know, there, you might find somebody walking around or, you know, it was, I mean, it sounds kind of seedy, but. If you don't have a cell phone or, you know, just picture yourself yeah. not having any of that. Right, right. right. Is um, all that stuff gone now where people used to meet up? You know, I really don't know. I'm so old that I don't yeah, I don't pay much loop. attention to... And you, and you don't live here either. I mean, that's another right. thing. Well, the gay here. community uh, today in Milwaukee is a, a shadow of its former self. Because? I think that... The area has been horribly gentrified. Mm. Oh, there I said it. Let me ask you this then. You know, a lot of times gay couples will move into these into these places and, and you know, the property values go up. Everything gets to be like a nice community people want to live in, which then leads to gentrification, doesn't it? Yeah, I you suppose know, you like could make cool that argument. Live, right? I mean, theory. Right. Listen, and- I'm not saying, you know, a gay neighbor is better than a straight neighbor I or think that's anything what you else. Said. Now, wait just a minute. I think what Back I'm saying is... gay neighbor is better than a straight... I heard it right there. There it was. <laughs> well, I mean, we throw better parties. Come on. <laughs> oh, oh, now you throw better parties? Yeah. You decorate better? Yeah, I'm you not, make the uh, neighbors yeah. nicer? You're going to throw around these generalizations that I'm not comfortable with. I suppose you're going to tell me you're a better dancer now. Yes. Well, as you can see, I'm certainly not a fashionista, so... no. But I was going to say, going back to high school, like you said, there were other gay students. How did you guys get to know each other back in high school? Well, in the summer of 1983, they all started showing up in the clubs. Oh, sure. After graduation. After graduation. After graduation. But what about what about during high school? Did you know a lot of the other uh, gay people in the Uh, class? Not. You know what? Not really. No. Hmm. I sort of led a double life in high school. That's why nobody ever really bothered me. Yeah. I was a good kid. I good showed kid. up every day. I never got in trouble, but I was in the bars every night. Now, you said in the bars at 14, 15. How easy, every night. Was it, how easy was it to sneak in the bars at 14 and 15? Well, I had a little, right. I always had a little scruff, scruff beard. Right. and It was 18 at the time. And it was 1979. There was a lot of underage kids yeah. in in the gay clubs. Think about that. Fourteen years old, fifteen years old yeah. in the bar. That's I mean it something. was it was all underground. Yeah. I mean you could drive down Second Street today and I could point out, you know, storefronts and right. And uh, you would never know. Yeah. Like the this other establishment, it's 
Well, now it's that place is actually getting a lot of national notoriety. Mm-hmm. They what, have a Facebook page, and the by the way, they have the like the best. It's called This Is It. This is it. And you know, all the college kids go there now because they they pour great drinks and they have like it's not double bubble anymore. It's like three for one. And Milwaukee's a pretty uh, a pretty cheap city to drink in. Yeah, I'll go back to gay people who move into a community and make it better, and it's kind of like the cool place to be. Same thing with these clubs, right? Same thing's happening. My, you don't like straight people, apparently. Different a lot opinion. of straight people walking around. So, Oh, so I, li- <laughs> I uh, well, in high school, I liked a lot of straight people. A, a lot of people in high school confided in me. I'm, I wasn't a gossipy, vindictive, you know, whatever kind of person. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Did you see pe- Do you see people in your class that you think... You still haven't come out? Come on. I don't think no. about that at all. No? Chris and I, we know somebody like that. He's got to be gay, but... He's no. more gay than Brian. Let's just say that. Yeah, right. Yes. Exactly. Well, I don't I don't think I look gay. <laughs> Maybe when I open my mouth or... A lot of times people will say, ma'am. Um, you when, know, you, when you call, call a credit oh, card voice. company or something, what's your name? Brian Darling. Oh, how can I help you, ma'am? Well, how Brian. many women do you know named Brian, you idiot? That's oh, I'm Brianna. so sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean, if we're going to generalize a little bit. Sure. Straight men, in my opinion, yeah. amongst themselves, they kind of like rank each other right. by the junk, right? I'll say this. I don't know. I think that is a stereotype about us straight people, which I find offensive. Let me just say that. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of really, really... Miserable idiots with nice packages huh. and vice versa. I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but guys don't go around talking about other guys' junk. I never had that conversation with anybody regarding that. No. Well, so, I've been asked by several classmates right. over the years, more right. than one. Right. Oh, Brian, when you were in the showers and gym class and stuff, were you checking out all the guys? Right. I said, absolutely, yes, I was. Mm-hmm. And... My next statement was, and you probably were too. Now, come on. No, I'll disagree. And a lot of them say, oh, no, no, I never thought. No, no, no. Come on, Chris. Come on. You know why? Because if you ever got caught doing that, you're going to be labeled and that would never go away. Right. I'll say this. It never occurred to me to check out other guys. Now, like I, like you said. I mean, I wasn't like creepy checking right, out but, people. But I mean, I'll say this. Of course you would look. If I was in the in the ladies' locker room at that same point, of course I'd be looking. But as a guy, I don't know. I don't think we're well, checking out. Well, come on. At out. our high school, yeah. in our shower room, mm-hmm. there's basically six guys standing in a circular <laughs> pattern looking right. at each other. I can guarantee that they were looking too. Not necessarily at me. Let me ask you this question. You know, there's that uh, stereotype that women would confide in a gay man. Were a lot of women confiding in you in high school? Absolutely. Yeah. So you heard a lot of the dirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And was that fun to be kind of the repository? Well, I wouldn't, you know, it didn't get my nipples hard, but... um, (laughs) Why are they hard now? Let me just ask you that. I don't know. My shirt's (laughs) a little too small. I went to Gillies too many times. Um. I don't know. I mean, I just had a certain place 
at East. Mm -hmm. And it was just easy to, you know, throw out all their problems and, you know, rail on me and, and other individuals. Yeah, I'll say this now as far as you know, we talked about maybe maybe being, maybe being on the receiving end of of people being bullying. I do remember that people would speak of you in a disparaging way in the, sure. in the sense that, you know, he must be gay, that type of talk. Or I never asked for any. I never got right. in anybody's face. I no. did my own thing. Right. Uh, and I did take a lot of bleepity bleep from, you know, a lot of people, but it didn't really bother me. And in some cases, that made it worse. Did, but a lot uh, of yeah. kids that were bullied, you know, I, I think we had one girl commit suicide. You know, we don't know what other people's situations are. Mm -hmm. They might have an unstable home life, a number of things. Right. And I don't know, maybe I was just a little bit more uh, cognizant of, of that. Um. I've heard it said that uh, everybody fights a battle in their head that you know nothing of. Right. And I think that was Adolf Hitler that came up with that right. line. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Maybe we'll toss that. I thought I'd get more, get more of a laugh. But anyway. Um, so anyway, uh, do you think that teasing or whatever you got, do you feel that made you stronger? It might sound cliched, but do you think that it made you who you are? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. And it was much more prevalent in actually in elementary school. Um, that was really hard. But there were a couple of individuals um, who actually went all the way through mm -hmm. high school with me that protected me. But now we'll want to move on. What brought you to California, Brian, what was the reason what got you out there? Well, as I was exiting high school, I I really actually I had like dreams or nightmares or whatever you want to call them, and they repeated themselves over and over. Basically, it was like you need to leave Milwaukee now. And if you don't leave, you'll be trapped here for the rest of your life. And then I would like wake up in a cold sweat. So I really kind of had this feeling. And I don't know, that just sort of bothered me. And I, I, I was 20 years old and I packed up my car. I quit my job. I told my parents, I said, Mom, Dad, I'm moving to California. Do you have a job? No. Do you know where you're going to live? No. Nice. And I packed up all my stuff in the in the cutlass and my two cats, and I drove west. And four days later, I ended up on the Santa Monica Pier. Yeah. So uh, you get out to California. So where do you land on your feet? What do you start doing out there? Well, since I did work at Cole's Department Store in Milwaukee, um, at that time the parent company also owned Saks Fifth Avenue. So I went down to Saks Fifth Avenue and I got a job in the cosmetics and fragrances and uh, handbags and hosiery. Where else did I work? Like ladies departments. And I didn't know anything about cosmetics, but I guess I turned out to be a great salesman. Um, a lady would come in and say, you know, I want to buy some foundation or something. And I'd say, 
you know, if you're going to buy that foundation, you're really going to need a lipstick to go with that. So I would sell them a lipstick and, you know, you really need a handbag to go with those shoes. And I, I didn't know. really know anything about um, cosmetics, but then they would try on this, you know, $30 lipstick. And I would say, that looks amazing on you, my dear. Sold. <laughs> wow. So you did the uh, you did the retail stuff, and then where did so you go from there? So I did retail, and then I got a job as a bank teller. Did you? Uh, uh, that's you know, you're brand new in town. How did you meet people? I'm a magnet. I'm just a ma- <laughs> I'm just a people magnet. <laughs> He's an icon, Chris. An icon. I will talk to anyone. That's why I like Disneyland so much. Mm-hmm. It's full of interesting people from all over the world. Do you ever think about? Because you ever think about working at Disney? Yeah, I would actually, I think, enjoy working at Disney. It's a little bit far uh, for a commute. I did a really smart thing. I bought my home almost twenty years ago in an area of the San Fernando Valley that I knew was pretty saturated. Not a lot of vacant lots, right? And I knew eventually they were going to run out of inventory. And twenty years later. Turns out I was right because they have a very uh, large shortage of single-family homes, and my home is more than tripled in value. Sure. Well, that's good. And I'm getting ready to retire in seven to ten years, and yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to Costa Rica. You've been there already, scouted it out? I have. Yeah, but- you talked about these different jobs. You ended up in entertainment, didn't you? I ended up in entertainment. And what jobs have you had in that? Well, through the banking industry, uh, I sort of moved up those ranks over the next two or three years. And I I ended up at a bank in Brentwood, California, which is an upscale uh, community. I was responsible for opening new accounts. I opened up the Yellow Pages and I called every single accounting firm within a five-mile radius of my office. And I developed a clientele, and uh, one day, one of the firms that I had built a relationship with said, well, we have so much client money with you, and you're doing such a great job you know, servicing us on behalf of our clients. We have an opening for an uh, uh, entry-level assistant bookkeeper job. I grabbed it, and I never looked back, and that was that was my entrance into the business manager. And I've clawed my way up to 30 years later, I've clawed my way up to uh, upper middle management, maybe. And then a few years ago, I actually went out on my own. Yeah, that's something again, you hear a guy just drives out there four days, you know, starts selling lipstick or whatever you said. And here you are 35 years later, doing something you didn't even imagine doing, right? Well, I always I I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I was Good with numbers. There was no X's or Y's in in those equations. But it was never part of, the, of any plan you had. No, it's. I guess it didn't turn out the way I had originally expected. I I didn't say, well, I want to move to Hollywood and be a star. Mm-hmm. And here you are. But I did. I do enjoy uh, working with people. Mm-hmm. And when you're working with celebrities, Let's say professional athletes, for instance. Right. Here's a here's a good example. A lot of professional athletes in their very early ages, to right. early twenties or out of college or right. whatever, and they throw 
huge multi-million dollar contracts at them. Right. These 20 some odd year old kids have no clue what to do with this money and how to handle this money. Have you worked with any people that people might know? Well, no, you don't have to. I will say that Joan Rivers um, was a a client. I I hesitate to, you know, ramble off names. It's it's not cool to do that. No, I understand. Um, Name was Joan Rosenberg. Her professional name was Joan Rivers. Um, Has, you know, passed away several years ago, and there's just really nothing, you know, that could possibly be breached or anything. Right. Sure. Um, But you worked with her. Right. Uh, You know, and people like her that may do movie, uh, have get earn income from movies. They may own real estate. That's more income. TV commercials, advertising, endorsements. There's all these different pieces. And I take all this together and I organize it in a easy to read financial statement format. Mm -hmm. And further to that, I, I have a very close relationship with the client and I make sure that they actually understand what they're seeing. One stereotype is that a lot of these people get taken advantage of. Have you seen that? Oh, absolutely. Professional organizers, life coaches, uh, all these people start glomming on, coming out of the woodwork, personal trainers, pool boys, domestic help, pool boys. uh, Everybody wants their Those types of people. Nannies. Independent contract. Back uh, 10, 15 years ago, we had a gubernatorial candidate in California, a very famous billionaire mm-hmm. woman that Freak. was running for government and sh- uh, a governor. Mm-hmm. And a month or two before the election, it came out that she was paying her domestic housekeeper under the table in cash. Well, that's a huge no-no. Well, it basically blew up her candidacy and she mm-hmm. lost the election. Yeah. And a good business manager like you would have caught that and she'd be governor right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. But you could say that that woman was an independent contractor, couldn't you? Well, in order to be classified, and I'm not a CPA and right. I'm not qualified to give this is not tax a, or legal not advice. Legal or tax, right. That being said, the IRS has specific criteria that needs to be met in order for someone to be called an independent contractor. You don't get to make that choice as an employer. Mm-hmm. People really, I think, should you know, know this. Don't pay your people under the table because it will come back to you at some point in time. You might be trying to apply for a loan uh, 10, 20 years from now. You could be running for president or a public office you could become somehow a public figure actually actually i have a story that involves the similar thing that involves jim and i don't know if jim remembers this but wait wait should i get my lawyer hold on (laughs) approximately i don't know 15 years ago or something like that jim was an independent contractor for another friend of ours oh yes and uh, this was the first time that jim had been an independent contractor and so at the end of the year, when it came time to pay taxes, it became known to Jim that he should have been doing that all along. And he didn't realize his and he tax bill. And spent all the money. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. he didn't realize that his tax bill was going to be this large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he called me up and he said, <laughs> What the he heck? He called is me going up on, on April 14th yeah. <laughs> and he said, Chris, uh, do you have an accountant? I said, Yes, I've got an accountant. He said, Is he taking new clients? <laughs> And I said, well, maybe not today. You know, this is April 14th. But I need it today. And then see, Jim, tomorrow is yeah. the deadline. <laughs> but you were in a desperate strait that day. Yeah, right. Well, it was it was not good. And I do feel like he should have said, just so you know, there's going to be other tax implications that come along with this because I'm not taking you on as an employee. Because well, that's- I learned this stuff in yeah. high school. <laughs> I took a- Jim, pay attention uh, in high school. Uh, an never, economics took, class, a basic economics class in high school. I never took finance. School. I never took economics in, well, in high school. I never I took any know. of it. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, I mean- uh, Did you have to- uh, you know, But you the- learned real quick, right? That day. Yeah. That. Bottom line is, <laughs> it's <way>. not free <laughs> in this country. You have to pay to live in this country. Yes. Yeah. You're a proud taxpayer. When Any did you, type of a situation when where did you there come out is as a taxpayer. Let someone me just ask providing you that. A when did you first remember being when a taxpayer? When did you come out of the taxpayer closet? Yeah. When did you come out and say, I'm a taxpayer? And did you tell your parents that? I will tell you exactly when I became a taxpayer. <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. Again, in 1979, yes. same time I came out, Yeah. I very quickly realized I need some money. If I'm going to be going in the bars every night, I need to make some money. As a 14-year-old. As a 14-year-old. So what I did- <laughs> I lied on my application and I got a job as, and I told them I was 16 as a dishwasher at the Hoffman House restaurant. That's great. And then I got a promotion to the salad bar department. That must have been yeah, quite a Yeah, that's day. big time. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the most famous person you've met? You don't have to tell yeah. if it's a client or not, but just. Who's the most famous person I've met? I mean, it's this I actually hard to prefer. And I would consider but, the yeah. most famous person I've met. Um, Oh gosh, Lily Tomlin. Um, I can tell you who I would like to meet. Okay, Cher, if yep. you're listening, that she's. Uh, I think that's she's way out of left field. I can't Cher, wait right? until Cher, your new right? album is released. <laughs> that's crazy. Wait a <laughs> Please minute. call me. Okay, all right. So you might be gay. Okay. So are these? Uh, Everybody uh, loves Cher. <laughs> Cher is the queen. I do. With that, Brian. We've taken you from uh, four years old all the way up to retirement here. Oh, gosh. Yeah. 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 Well, hey, thanks, Brian. Like I said, once again, you are the first person that requested me on the show, and I take that as an honor. Did I actually? Yeah, you Didn't uh, I just say, like, if you're ever looking for a guest, I'd be happy to... I don't want to make it sound like you're pathetic. Uh, You were, but I don't want to make it sound like (laughs) that. Doesn't all cash mean yelling? Like, please, right? It was like... Oh, come on. I didn't request... I've got screenshots of it, and you'll see how pathetic it looks we'll, we'll later. We'll put it in the comment. Man. Always no. nice to have an opportunity to, <laughs> to get together, Chris. Nice having you. We'll, thanks, uh, thanks for coming out, Brian. Just so. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, guys. I had a really good time. Good. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast with our guest, veteran Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter Crocker Stevenson. Although slow to warm up at first, Eventually, it becomes clear that he sees us as equals. Now you know the hell that I live in because, I mean, I talk to people like you all the time. (laughs) You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.